This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We have arrived. We have arrived at the moment. We are here. We're in Psalm 119. The longest uh, chapter in the Bible, and I've just tried to consider and think through and figure out what we're going to do with this one psalm, how we're going to deal with it. It's so long. Can I do it in a 30-minute Bible study? Of course not. Can I do it in a series of Bible studies? Yes. Or I could just skip it. So I've decided to skip it. No, I didn't sell it. Do that. So we're 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 going to deal with Psalm 119. By the way, Psalm 119 is a very interesting psalm, not just because it's so long, it's an acrostic. It is a it's a Hebrew form of writing. And uh, what happens is the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And you say, what are those letters? And I would say to you that because I am dyslexic, and I know that seems weird and I'm not making light of it, I am dyslexic. It took me about three years in elementary school to learn how to read. And because I struggle with uh, switching letters around, and you'll sometimes see that when I'm reading from the Word, I'll get all kind of messed up in my mind and I got to reorient myself when I'm reading. Because of that, there was no way I was going to learn Hebrew. First of all, it looked like chicken scratch. And second of all, it's written from right to left, not left. And I don't even know what that would have done to my brain. It might've just blown it up. But so I I don't know. I don't know any of the Hebrew letters. I don't know what they mean. I don't know any of that stuff. Okay. But what I do know is there's 22 of them. And uh, that seems like something you could know. Uh, There's 22 of them. And each one of them have eight verses associated with it. So the way this psalm is set up is there's eight 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It starts with the first one, and it gives us eight, eight lines, eight lines, eight lines, eight lines, eight lines, eight lines. And it's all about something I enjoy. It's all about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. It's an acrostic about the Word of God. And <clears throat> for me, that seems very interesting. I, wa- I just wonder, I wonder what I don't know about this song. I don't wonder what I do know. I wonder what I don't know about this song. And I might even find things out as we're studying it together. Because as I've looked over it and over it, it is a neat psalm, and it's got several verses in it that you'll be familiar with. You've heard them before. And it has got some, it's got some just, it's, it's just packed full of God's view of his word. It says, starting with verse one, blessed are the undefiled in the way, meaning those who've been not been messed up, who walk in the law of the Lord. And I always tell people when you see the word law, and it has a specific meaning in the Old New Testament, but I always tell people that the law of the Lord, when God brought them out of Egypt and brought them to the mountain to meet with them on top of the mountain, he was giving them the law in order that they could, it's almost like an introduction, so that they could know his character and his nature. 
And the law is a revelation of God's character and nature. And so when you're studying the law, when you're thinking about Old Testament law, and we talked about this, we've talked about this last couple of weeks in worship. When you think about the law, it, taught, it, it speaks to the character and nature of God, and it speaks to the importance God places on relationships. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. Fifth commandment has to do with our relationship with our parents. The sixth through ninth commandment has to do with our relationship with each other, relationships with each other. And finally, the last commandment has to do with our relationship with ourselves, and that we don't put ourselves in a position where we're destroying ourselves because we're we're wanting and desiring things that are not ours. And those things, those that's very important. It's important that you understand that God is a God of relationship. And that his law and his precepts or his way here that it starts out with, if it's undefiled, it's wonderful. If we don't remove ourselves from it, it's great. And it's great because it's based off a relationship with him. God's plan for our life, God's way is about a relationship. And so is his law. Blessed are those who keep his testimony. What are those? Those are his stories of what he's done. And by the way, the Old Testament it are stories, now listen to me, real stories, not made up stories, not fables, real stories that have significant spiritual meaning. They have spiritual understandings that tie to them. And the truth is, my dad always said this, and I, I, I've always looked at it that way, and I've never been wrong. You can't understand the New Testament in its fullness until you see God's work in the Old Testament, do you understand the Old Testament? And so when we read the Word of God, it says, Blessed are those who keep His testimony, who seek Him with the whole heart. Notice, God wants us to seek Him with our whole heart, with all our passion. He wants us to seek Him with all of our passion. He says, they also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Notice, when... There's usually two that follow. And when we walk in his ways, when we walk with God and we walk in his ways, when we do the things that are necessary to have a relationship with him, when we walk with him, iniquity ceases. Why? Because we're living by the Spirit. And, And the New Testament says, live by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Oftentimes we think if we follow the rules, we will live right. No, if we follow the rule maker, we live right. When we live right, when we follow God, when we chase after him, when we walk in hit with him in completeness and fullness of relationship, when we do that, when that's going on, then, then we are undefiled. Then we do no iniquity. Doing no iniquity has nothing to do with the outward actions. And, and you need to remember, you need to remember this when you're looking at the word of God. You need to know this when you're looking at the word of God. The sin that is committed outwardly is just a product of the sin that exists inwardly. And that's what matters. What comes out and what produces itself for full effect out in the outward world outside of our bodies, it it just is a slight unveiling of the iniquity that is in us. And if you think that by following some rules, you've made your inward self okay, you have. God's got to change the inward parts. And the only way he does that is in the context of a complete and full relationship. Because, by the way, not only is God a God of relationship, but he made us a people of relationship. We're we're a creature made for relationship. He says, they also do no iniquity. Why? They walk in his ways. 
You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Notice he's given us all kinds of words here that all relate to his word or his character and nature. We, we started out with, we started out with the way, then we start, then he, then we talked about testimonies, then we talked about the law, then we talked about his ways again, then we talked about commands, then we talked about statutes. Notice all these things have to do, and by the way, they all have to do with legal, legal practice also. Um, all these things have to do with how we walk with God in his character and nature. He said, then I would not be ashamed when I looked into all your commandments. Notice, shame comes from us not being who God made us to be, us being walking in our iniquity and sin. He says, but if I walk with God, then when I look at God's word, I don't look at it with shame. And yet, by the way, you need to understand this as a believer when other people come to church. Remember, you, a lot of times we forget what it's like to be a person who has not walked with God for a long time. And what happens a lot of times is they come to church, and obviously I'm going to preach right from the Word of God. And what when they look and when they peer into that wondrous Word of God, when they look look directly at who God is and what He's doing, when they peer into that Word of God, it causes shame. Why? Because what they see is themselves and how they don't meet the they don't meet the standard. Now remember, God is in the business of removing shame. He is. He's in the business of, of changing things. He's in the business of making us new. And shame is just the residue of our past sin. It's just the residue of our past sin. It's, it's a tool used by the enemy to keep us from walking with God the way God has made us to walk with him. And so shame is shame, shame is it's a taskmaster, it's cruel, it's terrible. And we have words of encouragement in life for people that overcome the feelings of shame that they may have when they look into word into God's word. See, love overcomes shame every day. Every day love overcomes shame. And the only way for a person to see past the sins of their past, the only way for them to look past the sins of their past is that they come to know the love of God. And when they look at the word of God, it brings about an understanding of who they are. But see, the love and the grace and the mercy of God given to them by us because we are his light and his people, that love and mercy and grace that's given to him by us, that takes away and removes shame and brings about hope. That's what it does. He says, I'll praise you with an upright heart. Notice, once you pass that shame, then that heart is upright. That heart is directed in the right direction. When I learn your righteous judgments, I'll keep your statutes. And I do not, oh, do not forsake me utterly. What he's saying is, I'm going to walk with you, God, and I'm not going to miss out. Then we got, that was Aleph. Now we're going to move to Beth. That's, I guess, the letter B in Hebrew. Like I said, I'm not an expert on that. In fact, I am a uh, anti-expert on that which means against expert, except for antichrist, which, which means in place of. But anyway, he says, how can a young man cleanse? All, by the way, all these lines start with B, this Beth here. We can't translate it that way because it just doesn't work that way. He says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? How can a man be changed? How can a man be cleansed 
in the way he walked. Notice, how has that happened? It doesn't happen by telling stories. It doesn't happen by feeling good. It happens by what? By taking heed according to your word, meaning looking at God's word. Matt just asked, could it also be self-condemnation? But really, it's Holy Spirit conviction. Well, see, there's a difference between the two. Matt's asking about what we we're just talking about. And I think that's a, a, a excellent question. <clears throat> there's a difference between self-condemnation, which is shame, and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the conviction of the Holy Spirit does not involve condemnation. Because what, and, and just to give you a big, broad view of this, in, the, in our court system today, if you go to trial, if you go to a jury trial, and you're found guilty, you are not, you're convicted at that time, but you're rarely sentenced at that time. And there's a reason for it, because conviction and condemnation or the sentencing, the condemning of the prisoner to a time in prison or whatever is going to be the punishment, it could be death at times, the conviction and the condemning have to be separate, all right? When the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, He's not in the business of condemning. Why? Because the condemnation has already been placed on Christ. If the Holy Spirit is convicting of you, you of your sin. That means you're already one of his. You're already one of his. And he's calling you to repentance. He's not calling you to condemnation. He's not inviting you to be sentenced to hell. He's not inviting you to be sentenced to death. He is calling you to repentance. So the condemnation does not come with the conviction. But by the way, but by the way, we condemn ourselves. And that is the shame that we feel. We condemn ourselves, and that is the shame that we feel. Shame is the result of our own personal condemnation because we peer into the wonderful, perfect nature of God. We peer into that, and we see that we are not, we don't live up to that standard, and that we need Him. We we need Him for for our, our for our atonement and repentance. We need Him. So how do we cleanse our way? The way we do it is we take heed of God. We see God's word. And then with a whole heart, verse 10, have sought, we seek God. We see his word and we chase after that. And that removes the condemnation. The conviction leads to repentance and it leads to a walk with God. He says, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Notice there's a seeking after the nature of God. Now, it's not just a seeking after God. You got to get this. It's a seeking after knowing and becoming the character and nature of God. It is a active relationship with God where his spirit is showing you how to walk in your special, unique life in his character and nature. That's why you're a unique trophy of his grace. Every one of us are a unique trophy of, of his grace. He says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's a good one. That's a well-known one right there. You need to highlight that. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. He says, I want, he says, I want to know who you are. I want to know how you work. He says, with my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. With my lips, I've declared all the judgments of your mouth. He says, I notice not only have I taken it in, no, not, not only have I learned it, it has become a part of my heart. And out of the flow of my heart, with my lips, I declare God's truth, his judgment. He says, I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. I've, I've read those stories, those acts of the past where God shows who he is. 
And what has he said I've done with them? I've rejoiced in them. It's hard to rejoice in something that you think is a fable. It's hard to rejoice in something that you to believe to be not true. I rejoice in the things that are true. I, I might watch a TV show and enjoy in the sense it's a passing pleasure, some movie that's not true. But the, but the truth is, I actually enjoy the the true stories, the true movies, the true the movies about things that actually have happened a lot more than I do the ones that are just made up stories. The truth is, if you're going to have complete joy and and peace and and understanding about uh, who God is, you have to really believe that God has done these things. And and by the way, if I it just doesn't ever even make sense to me when people are spending time studying God's Word and when they're looking at God's Word. It doesn't make sense to me why you would say, I am so convicted and I have such faith and trust in God and that He's the God of the universe and He made all things and He He has the power to really change and make my life something special and new. All these stories of the past, He just kind of told them to make me feel better. It just don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have, it, it resonates with what? And that's why people who do not, who do not place their faith in God's word and do not stand on God's word, they're easy to move away and they're easy to fade away from the church and from who God is. But just because they really didn't believe God was who he presented himself to be. And if they didn't really believe him for who he is, then how can you trust in that? You're not going to. Oftentimes the we, I'll hear, and it's it, it, they never come right out and say it, but there's a tone to it. We need to focus just on Jesus and mainly just focus on his teachings about love and some of the good things he did in the New Testament. And we need to talk about the cross and, and we need to just stay away from the Old Testament and, and all the things that go on there. And we don't, Paul, he, he's so harsh sometimes. We need to stay away from him. And we just need to focus on, just focus on Jesus. What they're basically saying is that I like Jesus and I like all that love stuff that Jesus talks about. But the truth is, I don't really want God any other way than that way. And I, I don't really want to know who he really is and how he really changes things. And I don't really want to see those things. And I, the truth is, I don't really even believe them. I don't, I don't even believe that stuff. What happens is that you realize this world's utterly and completely sinful, and you're utterly and completely sinful, and you've placed your hope into a Jesus that you made in your own image. Not into the God that presented himself completely in Scripture. See, if God was able to create the whole universe and make all things, and he's the author of all life, then he's able to give you the truth from his word over the over the millennia's past. He is or he ain't. He is or he ain't. And it, by the way, that's Southern. He is or he is not. Okay? He is or he ain't. And if he ain't, then he ain't at all. It ain't part ain't. It's all ain't. Okay. And so that's just the way it works. And so many times, when, and so what, what we do is we fill our churches full of people who don't, do not know the whole counsel of God. They do not know his commandments. They do not know his precepts. They don't understand his truth. And let me tell you, we're not talking about a condemning truth. We're talking about a convicting, life-changing truth. They don't know those things. And so then all of a sudden, when hard times hit and struggles come, they don't understand that, God, that that James says, count it pure joy, the brother of Jesus, when you face trials of many kinds. He says, I begat you for the purpose of these things so that you could know me and so that you could struggle through these things and walk in faith and life. When they see those things, all they think is, well, God doesn't love me anymore because you you've made a God to yourself. You've made God in your own image. You've worshiped yourself again. 
You've made God in your own image. And then all of a sudden, when your God, which is you, doesn't meet the standard and can't fill it, figure it out, can't work it out, then you blame it on the God who made the universe. After you're the one who tried to limit him down to yourself. <sighs> or your pastor never, ever spent time organizing the church in such a way that where the word of God is regularly taught in every situation. And that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. That's how you have these situations where churches build up and then they just collapse because their foundation is almost nothing. It's definitely not the word of God. He says, I've rejoiced in your way and your testimony as much as in all riches. See, what he's saying is, I have enjoyed and placed my hope in, I've rejoiced in who you present yourself to be, your testimonies, the way you've shown yourself out to me. I rejoice in that more than any of the riches of the world that I could have. Anything in this world is less than what you have revealed to me about who you are. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. He says, I'm going to meditate on your precepts. I'm going to think about your character and nature. I'm going to contemplate your ways. And I'm going to delight in your statutes and truth. I'm going to delight in who you are. Notice, what is that focus? That worship is focused on a God who is presenting himself as he is, not on a God that you've made for yourselves. Anytime you say, my Jesus, okay, be careful. He's Jesus, and he is yours, but he's yours the way he presents himself. He's not the way yours the way you want him to be. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.